All right, guys, what is up? We are back with another episode of THP Strength Season 2, Episode 2, because we deleted every podcast episode with the intention of doing more with uh, for our specific members area and kind of realized that a lot of people really like the podcast and we probably shouldn't have done that, but uh, this is how you learn. You we, we typically throw shit at a wall and see what sticks and the podcast stuck and we took it off which wasn't our best idea, but uh, we have more incentive to do it uh, because you guys are watching it. We're getting a lot of good positive feedback, so we're going to keep doing it. Um, today on the episode, we have Josh, uh, Josh Williamson. Uh, he is a, well, I guess, Josh, go ahead and introduce yourself. What? Um, give us a little bit of background, who you are, what you're doing, where you live, et cetera. Well, uh, I'm a athlete on the U.S. bomb team right now i'm con- currently up in new york up at lake placid the olympic training center uh, i'm from florida so a bit of a bit of an outside prospect for the sport generally you get a lot of people from the area around the track and for me obviously i'm pretty far away from anything cold so i'm from the orlando area and just kind of been into strength speed power my whole life and now it's kind of all transferring over to my new sport yeah Isaiah, what are you, you know, he's, what, what's up with Orlando, man? You guys just like, <laughs> great peaks, man. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, Josh and I were actually, I think I had posted like something on my story at some point. I think maybe Josh followed me and, uh, you know, I was like in Orlando and he's like, are you in Orlando? And I was like, I am in Orlando. Where do I train? <laughs> or maybe I asked you, I can't remember what exactly happened. Do you know, how did that, how did that even come to be? Like, did you start following me because of something Brad posted or? I remember I started you I frankly I'm pretty obsessed with you know jumping speed strength any of that I, I follow a lot of people that I'm just that I really this informational post you know just just digging into anything I can try to get my hands on when it comes to training and one of those things that that kind of I got into that wormhole through bread and just kind of started picking stuff up on social media I followed you because you put out a ton of really good content and ton of information that I thought was pretty cool and really useful so I just happened to see you were at UCF uh, jumping. And I mean, again, that's probably like 30 minutes from my house. So I was like, oh, shit, maybe I should uh, reach out to him and see what he's doing. I didn't know if you were from that, that area or not. You know, I just thought it was pretty cool. So I think that's kind of yeah. how that started. I wish uh, I wish we could have connected when, when I was there. But we were, I think the first time, well, we were looking to, we, I was training there. And we were trying to get do a bunch of work um, that we ended up really not even using that much of, actually. So for those of you listening, we didn't, the, the trip was a total waste. I probably should have trained with Josh instead. We didn't use any of the stuff we did, but that's fine. Uh, and then I was looking to move down there, uh, which, you know, didn't really make sense for us to do, but I was down there again and we, and you, I think we're at Lake Placid, uh, or you had already left for Lake Placid. Yeah. But for those of you guys listening, I basically called him and was like, yo, where do we train here in like Winter Park? You know, what makes the most amount of sense? And Josh was really helpful. So um, it was really useful. But some some background on this. Coincidentally, Isaiah and Connor, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Brad Dweez is works with a guy named Mike Stone. Mike Stone is one of the top uh, S&C researchers, probably, I would argue, I mean, definitely in the country, I would argue in the world. Um, he's, a, he's like brilliant when it comes to strength training. His wife was an Olympic discus thrower, I believe. Is that is that correct, Josh? You know? Yeah, I know. Megan Beast, she is a pretty cool person to be around. Yeah. So um, so she was uh, – or basically what happened is the, the person that I was working for, Mike Young, uh, did a – well, he essentially 
told me if I was going to look at schools, I should look at ETSU because of Mike Stone and because of Brad DeWeese. And he's like, I think you'd really like Brad. He's like pretty personable. You guys probably have a lot in common. And I was like, oh yeah, like that's nice. That's like, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty, uh, personable over the top person. Like, I don't know what Mike's like trying to say about that, like about Brad or whatever. But, uh, then I met Brad actually, because Brad came and spoke, um, at this, uh, seminar that Mike put on and Mike Stone was actually there too. Um, and it was through ProPormance. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's also what Alex Natera, I think is a part of now, but Brad came and spoke, Mike came and spoke and, you know, obviously, uh, Dr. Stone is like brilliant. The dude, the dude knows more about strength training than most people would ever dream about knowing like he's that smart. So if you, if you're listening to this and you want to know like a lot about just specifically output, like max strength, power output, Mike Stone is the guy you have to, you have to go read his research. Um, and anyways, Brad, I believe was mentored by Dr. Stone. And then Brad has a very similar Dr. Deweese. I don't know if he, li- I don't, I doubt they'll listen to this, but they might, but if they do, uh, sorry that I called you by your first name, Brad. Anyways, he, he's just like a really, really obviously super smart guy. Very, very well-spoken. Um, and I really like his training stuff a lot. It's, it's very sensible and stuff. And so I don't know, uh, if, if you, does Brad coach you or did he coach you? What's kind of the connection there? So he has coached me since, uh, summer of 2018. I came into the sport, uh, summer of 2017 and that was going into the Olympic year so obviously I really didn't have much of a shot to make that Olympic team but I was around and just kind of bounced around and I had come from a football you know team sport background where you know a lot of the stuff that they implement in bobsled is very relatable to sprinting track and field you get a lot of track and field athletes and for me that was all very foreign so I was one of those guys who like relatively strong but dad no idea what sprinting was you know other than the fact that I would do wind sprints at the end of practice or something so I had a lot to learn and once I found out more about Brad and he had coached former athletes and obviously I needed a lot of help in the sprinting department. And that's one of the, one of the things he does really well. So as soon as he asked if I would want to move down to Johnson city and work with them, I took that opportunity immediately and spent basically, I would say six, seven months that uh, in 2018 going into that fall, basically kind of going from my rookie to my second year, I just went down to Tennessee and just grinded it out. And that was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Yeah. So actually, before we get into that, a lot of the training stuff and the nitty gritty, tell us, you know, what is your actual background in high school and college? Because you're, I mean, you're, you told me this, you're 24, about two, 215 of uh, type two fiber, freak of nature with a, with a 45 inch standing bird. I don't know if you guys know. No, I'm just playing. It's probably not that high. But uh, you're, you are, uh, I know you're a <laughs> bobsled guy. Any bobsled guy is going to be strong. But for those of you guys that don't know about the sport of bobsled, Basically, it's sprinting on ice. You push a sled, or the sleigh, I think is what they call it. I don't do the sport. Josh would do a better job of explaining this. But it's essentially track and field, um, like, on ice. And so that's why sprinting is super important. But they tend to be, like, freak beast humans that look like they belong to Division One football, which, like, blows me away because I feel like they even get – like, they come in and they're, like, pretty big guys. But then when you guys leave, you're even like bigger and more powerful. And I'm like, well, what were they doing for four years of football? Like, why don't they go back to football now that they're like actually athletic? Um, No, so because the training is just so robust. And so um, it's one of those sports. It's objective uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, track and field is objective the same way bobsled is objective. It's, you know, you start, it's time. I think it's, is it time from when you start the push and on your go essentially is how it works? 
Yeah, there's a splits. Yeah, so the push is really the one that matters the most. You know, for me, we have the first, you know, depending on the track, it can go from a 45 meter split all the way with usually like a 5, 10 meter uh, roll in all the way to, you know, maybe 50. Okay. And it just depends on different tracks, different ramps, but then they take splits throughout the track and that's how they usually track to see how you're doing in the race. You know, like we always say, you're racing against, you know, the clock, not other people, because at the end of the day, you're going down and you have no idea where your times are at till you get to the bottom and find out you know what you did and that's kind of so it's a pretty unique racing sport in that it is a race but it's not like you having this constant feedback of knowing where you're at how you stack up you get to the bottom you find out how you did and then you go up and you do it again and that's kind of you know the extent of it yeah so what's um well i mean there's so many connections between bobsled and track actually in terms of the coaching and bobsled has a lot of very 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 good coaches actually so it's it's pretty interesting i would actually argue by and large, bobsled coaches are better than track coaches, in, in my opinion. Um, and that might be because I have a strength bias, but I actually do really firmly believe that. But anyways, yeah, we'll get back to this question. What is, yeah, tell us about your background. Where where do you, uh, where, what sport did you start in? Were you good? Were you bad? All that, all that information. I played a lot of football growing up, coming from, you know, Central Florida. Uh, I got into lacrosse, actually, when I was probably in middle school, because I was just bored after, you know, I'd play all fall, and then I had nothing to do in spring, and my parents would get sick of it, so they wanted me to find something to do. And I ended up playing lacrosse probably when I was in, like, sixth, seventh grade, and I played both of those sports basically throughout high school. Uh, ended up stopping playing football to continue playing lacrosse. My freshman year of college, I went to uh, – Mercer University, which is a small school down in Macon, Georgia, kind of south Georgia, and did a year there, had a lot of injuries, got a little frustrated, ended up going to transfer to Florida State just to be a student, you know, decided to hang it up, and then took me about a semester to realize that I wasn't done playing sports, and I started trying to find really what a sport, what a good sport for me would be, you know, what is my body type, what are the things I like to do in training, you know, like what are things that I really think I'm good at, and where would that fit in the sport, I almost kind of went shopping for a sport, and I was honestly pretty fun because for my whole life it's been you know I only identified as football lacrosse you know a little bit of baseball I was terrible at it you know I ran track a little bit in middle school but never really went anywhere with it so it's just kind of like I just did a little bit of everything and then finally decided uh, I'm gonna narrow it down and it's kind of look on me here yeah so what what how much did you weigh like this is something I'm really curious about for those of you that don't know like I said Josh is probably what are you 215 or so 230 230? Holy shit. <laughs> oh my God. Day. I'm like 226, 230. I'm like six, just under six one. I'd say I'm like six foot something. I don't really. <laughs> we measured this the other day. I'd like to say six one, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, all right. So six one, two, 230 ish, right? That's like, like, what's, what's like, what's like Ezekiel Elliott? Does anyone know off the top of their head what he is? He's like huge. He's, He's right like, around there. Yeah. The only reason yeah. I know this is because I saw that video of Aaron Donald just manhandling that guy, and then everyone's like, everyone thinks Zeke's really small, and I'm like, no, that guy's my my size. Aaron Donald's just a giant. <laughs> yeah. We were how talking much, about this the other day, actually. How, how What is he? So he's the same, you said, Ezekiel Elliott? He's just about, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's practically the same height and weight as me, but you look at him, he's yes. tiny, and, you know. And real quick, could you say what you're like? how strong you are in all like the main lifts, like all the power, like the Olympic lifts and, and like squatting, deadlifts, all that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really, um, snatching. I just started, I'm, I'm pretty bad at it for being honest, 
but power cleaning is I'd say the predominant lift that we do in our programming. Some, some athletes do full cleans that come from Olympic lifting, like background. They really like it and they're good at it. For me, power cleaning is something I really enjoy. And I, my current max is 160 kilos, which is about 350 pounds. Just, just, and then my squat, I don't, I don't think I have a one rep max squat right now. I would say that I'm at like my best double would probably 210 kilos, which is just, I don't know what's that like 450, 460, I would say on the squat, but that's, that's kind of been a build for me. I've always squatted and power clean, something I really liked to do when I was in high school. Even I think that I thought that gave me a pretty big lacrosse because lacrosse tended to be a lot of really small kids who would just kind of finesse their way around. And the way that I thought I'd get recruited was to be bigger than everybody else and just kind of manhandle people on defense. And that was, so I got pretty obsessed with weightlifting when I was in high school and kind of run with it ever since I was pretty bad at it when I started, but I've kind of stuck with it since I started. And those are two things, two lifts that I really like. And luckily are a big part of my training. So it helps me really enjoy what I do. Yeah. How high do you catch your cleans and how deep do you squat? Uh, I definitely, I mean, just, you know, rule of thumb, obviously with powers, I try to keep it over 90 or I wouldn't count it. And then generally though, like my 160, I think I have it on my Instagram and I think that was, that was pretty high for me. I, I've gotten sometimes pretty suspect in the power position, but that one is pretty good for me. And it was actually perfect because I was leading into world championships over in Germany about a week beforehand, which is, you know, ideally what you want, you know, going into a competition and starting to hit big lifts a week or two out going into a taper. So that was pretty exciting, but I think part of it too, we were in this kind of old uh, East German weightlifting hall. They had these pictures of these like Olympians lifting these crazy weights all signed off on. So that definitely, everybody had some PRs that day because it kind of added to the atmosphere, but it was definitely talking about Doc Stone. It was a pretty Doc Stone environment, you know, mustaches, big cleans, lots of squats. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have to see this guy's mustache. Yeah, so <laughs> that added to uh, I just, it's dude, amazing. Awesome. It's it is like the best mustache ever. But he's he's just like he's like very like he's like the he's a really nice guy, just like the nicest guy, but he's just like very well spoken and just super into it. Like I hope that I'm as cool as this guy is whenever I don't know how old is he? I'm not sure. I, he I I every time it would always my first time down in Tennessee is always surprising because they had the lab down in EPSU. Like we have a weight room that we train in and they have the lab that you do the mid-thigh pull and the weightlifting team trains in and you know a lot of stuff where they do a lot of their testing and I remember walking in there for the first time and I saw Doc and Meg working out and immediately going in there I think I saw Doc doing like I wasn't a ton of weight obviously he's an older guy but he's probably like 60 80 kilos doing like astagrass back squats he's classic for walking around the lab and just spandex in a t-shirt because he's like between lifting and like working on stuff in his like office and like he's just walking around like crushing full snatches and he and Meg are working out together and I'm like what is going on? <laughs> I know who he was at the I, time. I and he's in there just crushing weights. And I'm like, I'm where I need to be when I saw that. You know, I was like, this is it's pretty hardcore. This is where I want to train. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a really cool, like, unless you've been around the sport of weightlifting, you, like, don't really know kind of the way the culture is. And, like, it's just, like, very, I don't I don't know. It, it's, it's just, like, almost like a, I don't give a shit about anything other than just, like, being a beast essentially like i i'm just like that's the only thing that matters i only care about training i'm in the weight room like four to four hours a day just sitting on the freaking uh metal chair and everything's covered in chalk and it's usually dirty like it's just like a really cool environment unless you've been around it 
Um, Isaiah, I don't know if you've ever trained in like a OTC or at like a weightlifting gym or anything. I doubt Connor has for sure, but um, I haven't. But my my dad, because he when he was doing Olympic Olympic lifting in college, like I was I was there when he would train with his team and stuff like that. So I like know of the environment. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's it is really it's cool. just those open rooms, just platforms, you know, yes. like squat racks you pull off and on, you know, it's like and they're in, in ETSU the lab is in like old racquetball courts. So these like like massive no windows, just like wooden platforms, compilation of random weights, you know, just like it's it's a pretty cool environment and I just definitely that was my first memory of Doc Stone walking in and seeing him crushing back squats, you know, full depth, you know, just blowing it up some old guy walking around in spandex and i'm like this is the right place to be so <laughs> he's he's probably, to get he was born in 1933 which makes him i don't even know 20 20 what is it it's 2020 it's like 87 or something like that. He's 87 he's 87 or 88 years old that's crazy and they're doing full range back squats blowing it up with he and his wife and i'm just like there's some pretty crazy stuff you see some old pictures of uh meg and her prime she was amazing i mean she had i think she still has a record that holds in i can't remember which throwing event over in in europe somewhere i can't remember and she also has a collegiate record in the u.s that i think still stands since she competed in college so i mean she was a dominant athlete on top of you know being married to a legend doc so i mean that's a pretty it's about as power couple as it gets when it comes to strength conditioning yeah. you know yeah it's definitely it's kind of a cool story so Again, for those of you listening to this, you're talking about someone that is literally like the father of, in the U.S., in my opinion, of high, very high level periodization type, you know, research stuff that's really, really good stuff. And um, if you're not familiar with, you know, how we or why we program the way we do and you have no clue why we're doing what we're doing, you definitely should go start by reading some of his research. I don't I think it's public. I think a lot of it's public and as PDS on Google Scholar. Um, he, he has him and Brad, I think, published a couple different ones that were like, literally, it's like part one and two of like the basics of periodization. It's, it's like a really, really, really solid articles. Um, so highly recommend Connor, maybe uh, that would be something Isaiah, if you guys haven't read that, I'd highly recommend doing that if you're interested in, in the training stuff, which obviously you guys are. So, um, but anyways, yeah, so uh back back to kind of your progression i know we never really answered this question how much did you weigh along the way um from high school all the way through kind of now and at what level or actually you never even told us this either what were your sprint times or what are your sprint times like and talk about the progression of your weight and your your speed and things like that as you've gone yeah so i mean when i was i would say i'd say i got in the weight room probably sophomore year of high school I, I i'd kind of gone like you're playing football when you're in middle school and like your team has like you know you go to s- some gym and like, your whole team works out there with some trainer and like i luckily had a guy who named uh, marlon way Moore. he was a former maryland linebacker and a former uh, orlando predator like arena football player so he just happened to be a guy that worked with our football program he started doing some of that stuff and i always regretted i, I never really wanted to go i didn't really enjoy weightlifting i was just like I was always a little taller. I was probably, you know, close to what getting close to six foot when I was getting closer to high school and I was still like a buck, you know, buck 60 or something. I was pretty skinny. And then I just was starting to fill out, you know, and like finally when I got to the weight room, I just started really filling out. And essentially Marlon initially just had me doing running programs he did in college. You know, he, he was a linebacker at university of Maryland and I was just training like a collegiate linebacker. And that essentially put a lot of weight on me, just hang power cleans, 
squatting, you know, just things that none of it was with great technique, but stuff that I had, I was just, I was new to the weight room. So I was seeing a lot of gains fast and I was putting weight on quick. So I was getting a ton of instant, you know, gratification and return on that. And I'd say I got up to probably in my senior year of high school, going into college, I was 215. Two what? And that was 215. Oh, I was, my, that was when I was about eight. 215 and then going into college i stayed around that weight because i'm lacrosse it's hard to put on weight it's a field sport you do a ton of conditioning you know i loved weightlifting but i absolutely dreaded you know the wind sprints at the end of practice and the constantly i'd be just i'd have a great sprint you know down the field have this great run and then it'd be like i'd be gassed i need to sub <laughs> and i couldn't do it that's something that you know eventually when i talked about picking a sport out i decided hey i hated some aspects i loved the sport of lacrosse cross and football and I hate love football I hated some aspects of it though and I was like let me find a sport that I love everything in the training process I love everything about it I love the sprinting jumping weightlifting there's nothing I don't like about it and that, that could be you know a great way to not get burned out as quickly was what I thought at least but yeah I was probably around 215 in senior year of high school through college and then about that weight really going into the sport and then really since then the past two years as well and I've tried to get up more into the, you know, 225 to 230 range, just because that our sport's a downhill sport, you know, at the end of the day, I don't want to get slower because I need to push fast. But once I get in the sled, we want to be as heavy as or close to our weight limit as we can be just for momentum, you know, more weight we can get in that sled, the faster we're going to go down the hill. So it's kind of just that balance of get as heavy as you can without getting any slower and just finding where that's at for different athletes, you know? Yeah. I actually didn't know that the size part of it was that important. I didn't know that, uh, that more size meant you would like, obviously you have more momentum. I didn't even think about that aspect of uh, a sled. So you, you want to, that's why you're too tired to get as big as possible. What do you think, what do you think your, uh, like your 40 time is right now? Like 40 yard, if you had to measure it the way the NFL does, how do you think you would match up? I, 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 I wish I could tell you, I get asked that a lot really excited. That's kind of just the general metric, you know, with, with speed, obviously it's a very easy thing to, you know, compared to, we do 15 meter, 30 meter, and 45 meter sprint differently, obviously. So it's not always super comparable to obviously like track and field, you're coming out of blocks, you know, or we do, or you can fly in or roll in. We do like a meter box. So it almost turns into a meter roll, I would say. So that's going to help our time. And I think my best 30 time from a crouch meter roll was a, is a 356. And that's kind of the only number I really have, I would say. Like sprint wise, you have a a one meter. I could probably convert that to a forty yard time, but it'd probably be something you know ridiculous that probably wouldn't be true. So I I don't want to put anything out there. Yeah, the roll in with the the roll in though. So the thing is that is interesting about the NFL combine. I don't know if you guys know this, but the way that they do their forty yard dash is it's it's based on their first movement for the start, and then it's a laser finish. So it's it's this half on half off laser timing system so you have a guy that stands right there and goes on your first movement whereas bobsled and and track isn't really like this track usually uses a hand pad so your first movement you move the hand you start measuring or you set up a where you set up a, a fly gate basically right on your foot and then when your foot moves is when the, is when the gate triggers um you know some people will do a half meter fly which is like literally you know two feet or a foot and a half i guess and then when you cross the laser beam it starts measuring so it's, it's kind of different, um, you know, and, and each of those distinct differences, in my opinion, makes such a huge difference. Like if you even go from a crouch to a three point and a hand pad, yeah. you could add, you could add half a second, like in some cases, like if you go from a, a meter, a meter fly to, uh, to the hand pad, 
it could add, yeah, it could add 0.3 to 0.5 seconds, like on, on a time, which is crazy. That's like taking someone that runs like a four five in the 40 and all of a sudden they're five seconds in the 40. And you're like, hold on, how the hell did that yeah. happen? Give him a hand pad. But like the issue is that you have these standards that are set up by kind of like the norms, you know what I mean? Of, of the sports that are popular in the U S and like football is one of those sports. So, it, you know, it's, it's like weird to try to make those comparisons. But for those of you guys that don't know, uh, when I was at Altus, I would say, for those of you guys that don't know, when I was at Altus, no, uh, there was a sprinter, Andre de Grasse, second fastest guy in the world. Uh, his coach was Stu McMillan, who actually was, came from bobsled, I believe, or did yeah. it for a while. And so there were a couple bobsled guys there, skeleton guys there or whatever. But I think Andre would, in the 30, I want to say he would run like three, five or to three, three or something like that. Like something, maybe faster. It might have even been like three, two. It was so disgustingly fast. I could not conceptualize it. Cause like if I did the test, I would run like, I would run like barely under four seconds in a 30 and Andre would just blow that out of the water by like, like you'd have a 10, 10 meter gap by the time you got to the 30. And I did, you know what I mean? If you were to put us side by side, like that's how blisteringly fast he was. And it was interesting because you had a guy, Javid Best there, who came from UCLA, was a football player, right? Moving into track, one of the fastest guys in college football going in, going into track and field. And he would actually stay with, with Andre for the first 30. Like he would stay with Andre for the first 30. Sometimes you beat him out of the blocks. He wouldn't, he, he, Andre would start to gap him probably around the 30 meter mark. Like he would, he would start to separate at the 20 meter mark, probably like he just had another gear. Uh, as he got more momentum, he got faster and Javid didn't get as fast as, as fast, as fast as Andre was, which is kind of a hard way to say it, but it was interesting to watch that comparison. And then, uh, you know, you, you look at guys like you where Andre Gross weighed 150 pounds, you weigh 230. That's like, that's like disgustingly huge. Uh, you know, you look at Ezekiel Elliott, Ezekiel Elliott's probably. He's 225. 225? Yeah. 225 at six foot. So it's basically the same. Six foot, yeah. Yeah. So So like you look at that and you say, and you're talking about a guy that probably is maybe borderline less less leg than you are i would argue but like you know your whole job is to push a sled as fast as you possibly can as hard as you possibly can and you're and basically you need to run fast to do that so you do a ton of sprint training you know you're that that time is i would assume if you were to be from like a three point you'd be around i i would guess you'd probably be around three probably just under four seconds like three nine to three eight high i would say right maybe something like that i don't know you'd have to test but i would say probably right under four seconds or something like that how fast are are there any other guys that are in your group that are like just even way faster than you at that size or i know there's a guy at the end of you but i was like who the hell is this guy that just like is a fucking freight train of a human (laughs) there's uh so we Last year, for example, a good, a good, I think, indicator is like uh, we have a guy, we had a guy last quad who's named Sam McGuffey, who's obviously known as, he's a very, very fast guy. He, he played, I think he went into the NFL very shortly, played at Rice uh, in college. He's a really good football player. And I, the reason most people know him, I think he had a highlight tape that went viral. I think in high school, he was like jumping over people. He was, you know, hurdling people as a running back. And like, he was one of the, probably the fastest guy that's probably ever, ever come through the program for us he was around i want to say he was mid three fours was that's probably the that's the record for 30s a crouch start 30s for us with that meter roll with that meter box that we started 
Sam McGuffey. Sam Sam McGuffey, and I'm sure he has a 40 time somewhere. Just because this he is exactly was, he did what I wanted to know. Does Sam McGuffey have a 40 yard? What? <laughs> what? Dude, it says he ran a 4.32. <laughs> he he like he is lightning fast. Like that is one of the fast fastest people i've ever been around you know okay let's just read let's read i've ever been around universally fast so just for perspective this guy for for those of you guys looking at this this guy's a freak of nature he is uh it says here that he's 225 which he's probably about six foot right 225 says he runs a four yeah he's a little short says he runs a four three two he logged a 42-inch standing vertical, which is in the combine probably like a 39 or 38. He probably fudged his reach quite a bit. Do you, do you know what his vertical was there? Uh, at, on the board here at the Olympic Training Center, he has the record, and I want to say he's 41, 42. And that's with the just jump and the vertex. But again, it's like you can do, you know, it's it's not with plates. So it could be, you know. That's He has the record on our, like, Olympic training board. And you guys, you guys are, we have a guy right under him, I think 40 and then 39, I want to say, are the three records right now. Like the top three we have. You guys are pretty rigorous about the reach, right? Yeah, I mean, I think as much as you can be, you know, I feel like the reach is pretty hard. I don't know much about it. You know, I've, I've really, I, I did verticals when I was probably in high school. And since then, it's all been like force plate. Some, there's always some twist where I have like my arms on my hips or like very rarely have I gotten, you know, and I don't think much of us, we, I don't think a lot of us do that just other than for like testing purposes, but I, I want to say they're pretty rigorous, but I haven't been up through that process, you know? Yeah, dude, that's crazy. What do you, what was your best standing in high school with your, with a Vertec or when you did it last? 36 was my best with the Vertec, with the slap, I think. Yeah. When so I, I was junior high school football, I want to say senior high school football. Yeah, Isaiah, what is Connor? What is yours, Isaiah? What's your standing? Mine is thirty-six. Thirty-six. Isaiah is muted, I think, so nothing he's saying is coming through. <laughs> my, my best one, my best one ever was thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, my, no, and that's I want to preface that. That's my PB is thirty-six. My average day is like thirty-four, thirty-five. Yeah, mine now is like so pathetically bad. I think so. In college, when I was at the OTC. I think I started when I started training again. I took off like I took like a year hiatus from like anything track and field related, maybe longer. When I started, I did it in weightlifting shoes, and I think I I think it was 29 inches was what my standing vert was, which was horrendous. Like you're talking about someone that dunked when they were 14. I was like my standing vert's so bad, and like I was power cleaning 235. I was squatting like back squatting ass the grass like a little over 300. Like, I mean, I, I had no reason to be jumping 29 inches as a jumping athlete that had done plyos their whole life and I jump. And then I, like, just repped it out a bunch. Like, I just did it every day to see. I did it as a sense of, like, and I'm sure you guys do this, like, auto-regulation in a sense, right? Like, you're like, oh, I just want to test on the day and see how we're doing. And I think I got up to, like, it took me, like, two months, and I got up to, like, 36. Or, like, consistently, it was, like, between 34 and 36. Um, so it went up fast just by practicing it, but it was pretty, pretty horrendously bad. Um, so just for perspective, what did you say his, uh, his crouch start was so we can kind of get a ballpark on your 40 yard dash and probably what it is. He was his, he, I think he has the record for our program at three. I want to say like three forty three, low three, four, mid three, four, like three forty three, three forty four. I would say you said yours is like three, three, 
IPB, yeah. Okay, so you you'd probably run in the four fours, <laughs> which is like <clears throat> that's crazy. You're fast. You're probably faster than Ezekiel Elliott at his size. Why aren't you playing football? Why are you not playing football in the NFL? The the Cowboys could I, use you. <laughs> they could use. Yeah, they should have just kicked it, but um, <laughs> I. I, we get that question a lot because we get a lot of, you know, we have a lot of guys who come from football or even guys who, you know, have gone through the, you know, Sam's a great example of that. You know, he was a very good football player. He just personally, I know he had a lot of concussions. He was a, even at being a big dude, he's a smaller guy in the league. And, you know, they put him at slot. You take some big hits even in practice. And then next thing you know, you don't want to take, you know, you just don't want to get your head taken off anymore. But for us, you know, for me, for example, I always liked football. I played defense. I was a strong safety, but I, I was never going to be that good at it. You know what I mean? I always thought I was an athlete, but obviously to any sport, you know, football, basketball, lacrosse, baseball, there's so much skill involved. And I know that I was never, you know, I was never the guy who could make some ridiculous catch. You know, I was pretty strong and fast and that has a ton of, you know, role to it. And then, you know, I can pick up the speed of the game and think logically on the field, but like there's so much to it. And I think a lot of these guys, like we look at NFL, NBA, these guys are amazing athletes. I don't think that makes them the best athletes in the world, but it definitely makes them the best athletes in the world at what they do. You know what I mean? I think there's definitely some physical beasts, and I think you can find a lot of them, those physical beasts in track and field, you know, weightlifting. A lot of these guys are monsters too, but, you know, you get to a sport like the like football, basketball, those, those require a lot of skill, and that's obviously – it's going to be hard to be really, really good at something unless you're really good at that sport. You know what I mean? And I just – yeah. I know that maybe I could be a really good athlete compared to NFL players, but I'd never be as good as football as they are. You know what I mean? Uh, I talk, I've talked, I, I don't know if we've talked about this yet, John, but I mean, I've trained quite a few NBA athletes in person now. And like the impression I get is just, it's all about arm length and your ability to put the ball in the basket. It doesn't have so much to do with your athleticism. A lot of them are like awful athletes compared to like Isaiah and myself. Like we would be top tier NBA athletes if we had the skill to play in the NBA. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's kind of the experience I've had as well, like working with the track and field guys, because like I'm on the other end, right? Like I'm, I'm the guy that's like, I only work with freak beast humans that like produce a shit ton of force fast. And I love it. You know what I mean? I think it's fun as shit. That's like the flashy mm -hmm. stuff that you see in every sport is usually the result of that. And, uh, you know, you have a couple examples where it doesn't happen, like DeAndre Hopkins, you know, he's kind of slow. Not, but his hands are the size of dinner plates, and he's just like, yeah, that's, yep, catch that is my, my fucking glove. <laughs> like, this is like a baseball glove, and I just have these mitts. But, uh, you know, you, you kind of see that quickly, that what makes them the best at what they do is that they're the best at what they do. And, you know, that's specificity yeah. to a T. You put Andre DeGrasse on a basketball court, and it's embarrassing. It's trash. And, you know, you put Isaiah on a track, and it's not trash, but he's not going to run a four- uh, whatever, a 4-4 four, four, like you are probably, um, you know, and, and so it's like people, I think, don't make the, the they, there's this big disconnect in their head that, oh, well, and I mean, I just made this disconnect too, but I was kind of curious. I'm like, dude, that's world-class speed and world-class size. You don't, you don't see that. You, that's the type of size and speed that you run people over without even thinking twice about it. You know what I mean? And uh, so I think, you know, it, there's definitely this, a place where it is, yeah, you have to do it. You have to do the sport you want to get good at. And we talk about that all the time in dunking. Like, I mean, you guys, what's your, what is the biggest piece of advice you guys give Isaiah and Connor? Oh, jump. All the jump. time. <laughs> jump, jump, and jump. It's like how, 
Like I get I get a DM literally every day, and it's like, how do I jump higher? And I'm like, jump higher, and that's my answer. Yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah, I mean it is kind of interesting. But what is so this is maybe uh we'll get into the training stuff here because I and we don't have too we, we weirdly don't have that much time because there's so much background here. But um what are uh in terms of your training and stuff like that um what tell us like a little bit about the setup tell us about how you guys how you got that world-class speed how you are you developing it more do you feel like you've gotten much faster uh kind of a you know elaborate on that a little bit yeah no i definitely i mean obviously i kind of said earlier but i get i i went down the rabbit hole pretty hard when i got down to tennessee east tennessee state you know i mean working around doc stone you know brad working with so many great coaches you know it's just kind of like I definitely started getting really obsessed with learning that process. I was always already so into the weight room and I was so into just physical performance. And then I start, you, you mix that with actually getting around people who, you know, dig into the research, do the research themselves, you know, like are so knowledgeable in these fields that it was just the perfect storm for me to really obsess over this stuff. And that was something that I think I definitely got a lot faster. Like objectively, I, I came into the sport running, my 30 was a 368. And then that following summer after working with Brad for a couple months, it was a 356. And a lot of that just, again, was I didn't know what sprint technique was. If you asked me what a good sprinter did, I just said they ran fast. Like, I, I don't know. I didn't know what made them fast. I didn't know what I should be looking at. And that was obviously something that I just learned a lot quickly with uh, Brad. And that's something we worked a ton on. I mean, obviously, a lot of sprinting, very similar, I think, to what you've said. It's a, It's kind of a... We do a ton of basically Monday, Wednesday, Friday are high days for us. I sprint in the mornings, take a quick break where I'm nap, eat lunch. Then we do weight sessions in the afternoon. Uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday tend to be tempo. You know, like today for me would be a bike tempo day just to reduce impact. Uh, Tuesdays tend to be more of a jogging midsection tempo, you know, 100-meter jog, do some midsection work on that end, 100 meters back, do some midsection work over here, turn into a quick little circuit. That, so that's mm-hmm. this is interesting. Uh, that's called big circuit. I think at Charlie Francis, like big circuit or small circuit. Is that what it's called for you guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we yeah we call it midsection tempo essentially. That's really just we just dub it that. And then I have bike tempo today. Uh, Saturday will be a bike tempo again. Just you know spin for 20 minutes at a low intensity. Do some midsection afterwards. Take care of the body. And I definitely notice a huge benefit. I always it's funny because. I'm always very motivated to train because I, I love doing it. But when it comes to like tempo days, until I really understood the why behind it, man, I hated it. I mean, my motivation to train, I'd wake up Tuesday and I'd be like, man, I don't get to do anything cool. I don't get to sprint. I don't get to jump. I don't get to lift. I just have to jog back and forth and hate my life and, you know, get way too tired <laughs> just jogging around doing nothing exciting. And it just, the motivation was so low. And I used to get so frustrated with myself about that because I'm like, I just wouldn't want to do it. And then the more I've understood by reading into some of Charlie Francis's stuff and just asking Brad or bugging him about why I have to do this when it seems so counterproductive, the more I've learned about it and the more I've bought into it, the more I've actually seen a lot of benefit to it and really setting me up better for the Wednesday session. You know, the days I wouldn't do tempo Tuesdays, I'd show up to Wednesday and I'd be way more stiff. I wouldn't feel as open since we're doing more like fly-ins and upright stuff Wednesday. I feel really tight and blown up days I do my jogging. And after a couple of weeks, I noticed way more uh being way more fluid upright running uh being way less stiff going into sessions later in the week and that was enough for me to you know really start buying into that and seeing the importance of it but that's kind of the general gist of our training it's really nothing crazy you know every time people ask brad about it you know it's just kind of like nothing exciting <laughs> you know it's kind of like sprint in the morning lift in the afternoon 
Monday's a push day. Wednesday's a pull day in the weight room. Friday's a bit of a mix of both, but a lot lighter, just like a speed focus. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday are a lot of tempo stuff and low intensity, you know, recovery work and Sunday's off. And that's kind of just the way it goes. Yeah. So you guys, for the tempo work, out of curiosity, what what type of answer did Brad give you for that? <laughs> well, first, I, I you knowing Brad, at first when I, if I'm going to ask him the day of why I'm doing something, he's going to tell me because I told you so. But when I actually get the, the right answer, it's because I, you know, he explains, you know, it's it's the foundation. I, I remember asking him and once I really understood it, bringing it up to him like, hey, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm actually understanding the benefit of this. And he says, I think I have in my text somewhere, but it was really something that was pretty, I thought was a pretty good quote. It was literally just, it's the foundation for everything. You know, the, the, the tempo work, it just builds the foundation for the high intensity stuff you want to do. It's, it's like the foundation of the house. You can't, you can't just pile on all this crazy training and all this just crazy amount of impact and these, you know, tons of sprint volume if I'm not taking the time to work on that, uh, that low intensity work and I just never understood that you know he's like that is the base and the foundation of our program and if you don't take it seriously then it, it could come back to bite you you know in form of injury or you know overtraining, not getting the most out of training because you're tired you know or you're stiff it really it really can add up there and I just personally I've seen a big benefit in my upright running just from a fluid standpoint just doing some barefoot grass jogging on Tuesdays you know that just really opens me up and it took a little bit of you know, reality check to get to that point. <laughs> Cause for the while there, man, I, I hated it, but it, it's gotten a lot better. And I definitely see the value in even the stuff that may not be my favorite in our program. Yeah. For a while there, I was, I was doing quite a bit of it. And Isaiah's Isaiah probably has a very similar, how do you guys feel about the tempo work that I programmed for you? Connor, when you did my programs and Isaiah, when I put it in there. Well, hey, you, uh, you, you want to talk about the first time I did it or now? <laughs> Let's hear each of your perspectives on this. Cause I do a very well, similar when, thing in my training and people when, love to bitch they love the bitch why do i have to do this is that no point well, so the first time i trained with john and he had me doing like lower intensity jumps and like plyometric stuff to warm up um i was just like why it was kind of like he like why am i doing this when i could just go try to do a brand new dunk that nobody's ever done before and just do max jumps for two hours like what's the point um and then like also, before pre that, like I would just have like very intense days followed by basically nothing, and then just very intense day again. And um, when I first started doing all that tempo stuff, like I was dead tired. And John even told me he was like, "I don't know if this is a podcast safe, but he basically told me to stop being a pussy and that like I was super weak." And um, I was like, "Thank you for that." Um, I look at my perspective i'm like i'm like look i'm not that good of an athlete i'm really not like i'm not but like i know what hard work is and like if you're bitching about this like you're just being soft like this isn't even that far yeah and <laughs> I, I don't know if i was necessarily like bitching but i was just like dang like john i am so sore i am so tired and it's like i feel like i'm not even doing anything and he's like he's like just just do it man it's gonna be fine like stop being a pussy <laughs> um but now now that i kind of understand the same thing that i'm like building a foundation um it really doesn't bug me now and also because when, when I first trained with John, I was not very interested in the process. I just wanted to be better. Um, but I didn't understand anything. So because I didn't, I was just like, eh, like this is kind of lame. But now that I have a – I mean, I still have a long way to go in my understanding of things. But um, now that I understand more, I'm definitely much more open to 
one, doing things and just, like, trying them to see what the actual effect will be on me. Like, I know everything is not this direct, oh, just if I want to jump high, all I have to do is jump. Like, I know it's not as simple as that. Yeah. Isaiah, your feedback? Yeah. No, I related to what Josh said when, like, the motivation is low when when you got to do a lot of that like like the running work and the tempo work and all that stuff um but it, it honestly takes me back to like like high school when i used to have to do like conditioning for basketball and like they put you through the most like stupid running workouts ever like like they don't really translate and you, you're unmotivated for it but like you know you have to just show up and do it um yeah. with this it's that similar like sensation it's like you just got to go in there and, and eat it you got to suck it up and just and and, and it's different now because now I, I know it's helping me and like I know how it's helping me but that's I think that's a huge part of training if you want to be elite at anything there's going to be things that suck that you're going to have to learn to do you gotta you gotta be comfortable being uncomfortable and um yeah it's it's a big mental challenge but you just got to learn how to overcome that yeah I feel like uh for yeah. those of you listening that want to just bitch about the Tuesday Thursdays, just get over it because it work. It works. It obviously works. For perspective, his forty time probably came in at like four or five high. Now you're probably like just so people have some frame of reference. I mean, you drop point one two, right? That's how fast that is. Yeah, like that's like going yeah. from a four. That's like when you're going from being already really fast. You're already running like a four five five, which like Zeke put out in the in the NFL combine. Maybe he was four five zero, and then you're like, hey, listen, I just went to a four four two or four four three you go from a four five five to a four four two that's like millions of dollars separating if you're in the nfl like mm-hmm. yeah I, I was gonna say yeah. that earlier i don't think people understand like that's a huge difference like it's it's yeah. a small number difference but that's a big difference it's like people saying like if, if zay goes from a 48 to a like 49 vert, that's a big deal like yeah. it's do you, Josh, do you know anything about what their verticals are? Do you have any clue, like, what their approach vertical is? Did you see anything? What's what's your perspective on the sport of pro dunking and what we do? Are you like, this is lame, this is cool? Like, what's your perspective? <laughs> I, I I think it's sweet, man. I mean, literally, I, I mean, I follow so many people on Instagram that, that are not, you know, anything to do with my sport or that I just think I am – I'm obsessed with speed and power and whatever form that comes in. You know, it comes from football, track and field, you know, dunking you know basketball you know any anything you know i i follow a guy uh i want to say it's stefan jones and he puts out some amazing content with fast bowling and it's just kind of like really cool stuff that's just if it has to do with moving something really fast with a lot of force i'm probably gonna love it so i mean anytime i see the videos i'm like anybody you know i i challenge you to find anybody who doesn't think watching somebody lay down a ridiculous dunk is cool you know what I, mean? <laughs> like, I don't know anything about it but obviously it's sweet so, like, do you date? Are, are you familiar with, like, women? Because they generally think it's, like, the weirdest shit ever. Yeah, dude, you just have to find volleyball players. They appreciate dunking. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, my, my girlfriend's on the Canadian bobsled team, and she is equally obsessed with, like, speed power, so I can just completely nerd out with her, and that's that's a big part of it for me because that's something that I, I'm sure I told her I was doing this, and I was like, yeah, they, I, I, I don't know if they know that I can talk about, you know, training and speed power for hours i just i'm obsessed with it it's like no if they don't know they'll probably find out pretty soon because she's used to me just rattling off some research i just read or you know talking about how my training went how her training went and, yeah. but it's but yeah no it's pretty pretty much anything to do with you know jumping high running fast moving heavy weight i'll probably like it 
<laughs> so, and we'll, we'll kind of have to end on this because I think Isaiah has to go here pretty soon. But tell us about some of the testing that you guys do at, uh, at Lake Placid and at, at ETSU because I think I posted this on the story the other day of you doing the, the mid-thigh isometric pull with the force blades. And, like, that's that shit is awesome. Like, you see it and you're like, this is sick. This dude's literally just, like, taped to a bar. Like, Brad's always, Brad always says, he's like, yeah, it kind of looks cavemanish. Like, we just got duct tape and we just duct tape their hands with the bar yeah. so that they can hold on because that's how much force their legs are producing. And, like, yeah. give it the power position, just push, like, as hard as you can. People are yelling and it's, it's just, like, sick environment. Um, so, yeah, talk about mm-hmm. some of that, that specifically. Or if you have other cool tests that people don't see, uh, yeah. definitely tell us about that. Yeah, so testing, yeah, like, you know, testing for monitoring standpoint, we do weekly jumps. We do counter movement jumps right now. When I was at ETSU, we had a much more rigorous testing when it came to jump testing. Every four weeks, we would do static jumps uh, with, you know, we have like a PVC over our back. So we'd start at 90 and a pause. We do those unweighted with the PVC, weighted with 20 kilos, and then weighted with, I want to say a bar that was 30 or 40 kilos. And then we would do the same thing, counter movement, you know, with it over our back. So really it took no arm swing. We would do that. We would do that every four weeks. We would do static jumps unweighted every week as a check-in. Like every Monday would be right before we started our speed session. We would do some jumps on the force plate. And also the the mid-thigh pull you talked about, every four weeks we would do that on our pull workout. It would just substitute. You know, if I had clean pulls that Wednesday, we'd pull clean pulls that first week and just do the mid-thigh pull. And that would be the testing that we would run every four weeks. And then from that information, you know, with the jump testing, mid thigh pull, body composition testing every four weeks, they did a ultrasound of the uh, of the quad. They would basically run across and look at, I guess, you know, I, from my understanding, limit understanding, you know, cross sectional area and you know, and stuff like that, which is pretty interesting. We they get a pretty good picture of the way the direction training is going, essentially. That was kind of the monthly check-in on top of the weekly jump testing. And then that was how you really knew. And that was a big thing that Brad pushed was like, hey, I'm not just going to tell you I know what I'm doing. I'm going to, if, if, if we're not going in the right direction that we want to be with your sprint times, your jumps, your pulls, we'll see that and we'll know what we need to change. You know, because it just validates the process at the end of the day. It's not there to, it's not there to tell us what we need to do. It's just there to tell us if, if what we're doing is working and then if we need to make changes or if we don't, you know, if I'm getting closer to competition, I should hopefully be jumping higher, hopefully be jumping faster, hopefully be pulling more RFD, even if I'm not, and if I'm in, you know, a volume part of my strength training, maybe I'm going to see uh, RFD a little blunted and that's okay. As long as you have that, that context that this is just an early time of the year, you know, I'm, I'm going to feel fatigued. I'm in eights, I'm in volume. I'm going to be a little beat up, you know, and that's just not, it's hard, but try not to freak out when, you know, you're not feeling great, but that's that time of the year that it's okay not to feel great, you know, and it gives that context to feel more comfortable with that, knowing that that's changing as the year goes by, you know, numbers are changing and I'm seeing changes in the hopefully the right direction. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, what you talk about, like, this is why, uh, Mike Young said this the other day in a post, he was like, if you're not testing, it's cause you're afraid of the results and you're not, you're not, if you're afraid to do poorly, and you're, if you're not testing, then it's really just you're afraid to, to get the truth. Like you're, the truth hurts. Like you're afraid to know. And you should, you should use that as a, as a way to equip yourself. And I think like a lot of people don't realize the stuff that you guys, you guys are doing. I mean, Pat Dickard said this. Um, this is the guy that dunked from the free throw line. He works in China now with like Chinese basketball. And he, he posted it. He was the one that reposted, I think, it. And he was like, this is so cool. Like they're basically getting force numbers down to the decimal point in a very objective way where you're collecting a thousand data points a second or more 
um, you know, on, on this specific lift and you're able to see the changes over time uh, in terms of comparison month to month and things like that. And then for you annually, you're seeing comparisons year to year probably, which, uh, which is, you know, super useful for us. I mean, we really look at the specific testing we do is we'll do power clean, we'll do squat because we don't have access to a force plate, you know what I mean? And we'll do, uh, we'll do specifically approach jumps. We don't even really look at counter movement jumps standing or uh, from the, the static position because it doesn't have much bearing on what we do. Uh, we see a lot, of, a lot of correlation between, you know, your back squat going up and you getting better at jumping, specifically with Isaiah. And we also see a lot of correlation in the power clean too. Um, you see those numbers go up, your body weight doesn't go up. You generally see, you know, improvements. I guess, Isaiah, have you seen examples where that doesn't happen for sure, right? Um, not too much with, cause a lot of the guys that are pro dunkers that have good training, um, though, like their squat usually is like very correlated, um, with, with their vert going up. It's like the only exception is one foot jumpers, to be honest. Um, but for a, for a two foot jumper, like I don't, I honestly don't think I've seen a case where someone truly got stronger in a back squat on a power clean and their, their bounce didn't go up. Yeah. Which is crazy interesting because, like, if you look at Mike Stone's research, uh, he published this, I think, two years ago or a year ago. He was talking about intent and how if you push intent and you go as hard as you can every squat or every clean or whatever, he's yep. like, your type two type two to type one ratio changes. doesn't matter. You don't gain more type. You gain more volume of type two. You don't get more type two fibers. You don't go from 10 to 100. But the size of those gets so much bigger uh, relative to your type one, and that only happens if you push intent. And so this is why I always tell people, like, you gotta, you're driving the weight up. You gotta drive it up hard. Like you gotta push the weight up hard. And the numbers are, were staggering. And I think they did it a uh, four, eight and 12 week assessment. And you see the numbers for people just casually going through lifts versus pushing intent where people are yelling at you, push, 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 push every single rep. And I think Brad did this. He used to grade it like one to 10 or something like that. Right. Uh, and talk about it. And it was like, that's crazy. That environment is absolutely insane. Like, unless you see it, you don't even have a concept for it. Imagine if, if you're listening to this, imagine if every single time you went to do a squat, a clean, I don't know if they do it for RDLs and stuff too, like for the accessory work, but did they do it for accessory work? It, it depends. I think there's obviously, you know, depends, I guess, in my opinion, the goal, in my understanding, the goal of the work, you know what I mean? When it came to movements like squat, clean, pulls, mid-thigh pulls, every rep was to move as fast as possible. Even when it was heavy, you got to know, it was about knowing the weight's not going to move fast, but I got to be putting into the bar like I'm trying to move it like a thousand miles an hour, you know, even if I'm only moving really slowly, cause it's a really heavy squat, that intent in the weight room was the most important thing that was harped on by, you know, Brad, by any of our coaches, you know, Ambrose, the, the coach up here in the weight room, like Placid, that is the most important thing that they yeah. talk about is intention into the bar. Yep. And I, and it's crazy because a lot of people don't understand the value of that. And yeah, you can have velocity and BBT and stuff and like, I think that's great uh, just purely because of, I don't care what the number says. There's a number. So it's either fast or it's slow. <laughs> yeah, intention. It helps a ton with intention. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say that comes on down Fridays, like on my lifts that are lighter, a lighter lift, it's definitely the most important for me because like you get like the, the days where it's a little more heavier sessions, like Monday, Wednesday, you know, I can generally, that tends a little, for me at least easier when the weight's heavier I'm, I'm definitely trying to move it as hard as i can because it's heavy you know but on a friday we have lifts that are way more in like a 70 80 range way more about moving lightweight fast to try to you know 
pump that transfer up. And when I've had, you know, use a VBT device on those heavier days, it never mattered much to me on those light days when it's, you know, it's sometimes hard to see the value of, you know, like having a lightweight and moving it really quickly. That VBT device would help me a lot just because of it. Like you said, it spit a number out and I would have something that I'd be trying to beat, you know, I'm like, all right, this set, my PB was this many meters per second. I want to get over that this following set. And that just gave more intention to move even faster. And by doing that, you know, it just pushes that process forward. And the intention of that workout is hopefully met that, you know, move that weight as fast as you can to, to try to transfer that strength to speed, you know? Yeah. And I think like what's really difficult, and this is a big discrepancy between what you guys do and what we do is I, then the tendon issues that we have are crazy. I don't, do you guys see a lot of patella tendinopathy or, or Achilles tendinopathy? I last year, so last year, my first two years ago, I was down in Tennessee that whole summer. I did pretty well. I, I kind of had off nonchalant splints just from my high school track was cement. So when I did run track or do anything, I was just blowing myself up every single day. So I always kind of dealt with some shin splints. But last summer, I struggled a lot with patellar tendinopathy. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what the, what it was. That's that's one of those things that I, I just assumed, hey, I squat a lot. I'm going to have knee pain. I squat and jump a lot. It's just going to happen. I assumed it was general knee soreness because I never heard of it. I let it go for a couple months and then it got, you know, August time, we're getting close to competition and our sports med, I finally went and told someone like, Hey, I'm 23 years old and I'm having, I have to go slow up the stairs. Like, I feel like I should tell somebody something was <laughs> going on. And we looked into it and I had to basically start from scratch with isometrics, heavy, slow resistance and pull, basically pull myself from training going into, going into some competitions, which is really hard, you know, mentally for me. I see my numbers going down, you know, my strength is going down. I'm getting more pain. I'm sprinting slower. I'm pushing slower, jumping, not jumping higher. I don't know what's going on. And then it all came down to the fact that I just didn't know that I was dealing with a tendinopathy. And then finally with the right treatment now going into the summer, I have completely reduced it. I've done a ton of, you know, isometrics have helped me a lot. Uh, obviously heavy, you know, being mindful of how many impacts I'm taking. I have pretty weak lower legs. So trying to, you know, work on my, you know, my ankles and my uh, arches, just trying to strengthen that up for my contacts. And then a lot of that has helped me a lot, but I dealt with that a ton last summer. And a lot of that just had to do with me just not paying attention. You know, I think coming from team sport background, it's one of those things you're like, all right, I'm going to be sore and I'm going to have pain and I just need to deal with it. But some pain is okay. And other pain, you know, you got to know the difference between I'm sore from a workout and I'm having knee pain, you know, the thing is, the thing that makes tendons so difficult is that it limits your performance. And Isaiah can speak to this. I can speak to this. Connor can speak to this. We've all had it. And it's it's limit, It's limiting. That's the issue. It doesn't matter if you're sore if it's not limiting. You still punch out numbers, you know, and, and your knee or your muscles don't get necessarily more sore. It doesn't get worse. But tendons get so much progressively worse as you push harder that it actually limits your performance, which is really the difference. Yeah. So I think it's funny what you said. The reason we're all going this is because, like, we follow those exact, you know, type of progressions and guidelines and stuff according to research. Like, yeah, and it's funny, you'll see that the people that follow the scientific evidence usually have hard numbers they can pump out and say, this worked, this didn't work. They test, they yep. lift heavy, they do the, and, and it's like you said earlier, like what we do, you tell people what we do, it's, it's kind of boring. There's no, there's no wow factor to what we tell you. It's something you've probably heard at yeah, some point. It sucks. Yeah. And people are like, you know, and that and that's like I'm a I always say this like I'm all about the fundamentals. If it's boring, it probably works. <laughs> like if it sucks, it probably works. If probably. It's hard, it probably works. Like this I mean, within reason, you know, like and, yeah. and I think uh that's been my brand because 
it, it, that's just what's that's what the research indicates. So like, yeah, people get better. I think when you looked at uh, Connor's new to what we're doing here and and before he he was working with me, he saw all these decrements in his numbers, a lot, big decrements early on. And then all of a sudden he leaves, backs off the training and his vertical goes to like super high numbers. And Insane. Yeah. yeah. And and you look at that and you're like, hold on, like, well, he's, and, doing, but his, he's was, doing his training. He's doing something else. It must be the new thing that yeah. he's doing. It's like, or it's that's, the that's, of training that he did prior to that. Yeah. And then, and then, but yeah. now we're even further down the timeline and the detriment of that has shown also like not doing it right yeah i think like you look at if you were to look at the the payoff or the payout and you can attest to this right those periods that suck are followed by really great performances but they're followed by great performances you don't have great performances while it sucks (laughs) correct and those great performances are worth the sucking because it's so much better than you were it's just it feels insane like i can't even describe it yeah. So yeah, yeah, I, and that's you know the, the hypertrophy. You know, you get into a volume stage, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're not gonna be as poppy. You're gonna feel tired. You're gonna hurt. You know, and that's you got under, and that scares some people away. I know for like we have coaches. You know, Brad's one of them. Ambrose up here. We've had athletes who will work with them, and then you know they're in June. Our sport happens from November to February. In June, they they're splitting, they're sprinting slower, and they're like, oh, I don't, I don't need to work with this coach. Like he's making me worse. And it's like. Well, we're doing you're doing ten reps in the weight room, you know, like you're not gonna run fast. You're gonna be you're gonna be sore, you know, it's gonna happen. And then once we get closer to competition and you're getting to low reps, high, higher weight, way more advanced plyometrics, because you put that base in early with the with the more volume, with the uh, death lands, you know, with the easier plyometrics and you built to the fun stuff, then you're gonna see, like you said, this huge benefit. Even going through a taper, you know, like that taper going into competition, sometimes I feel terrible, you know, because you're going from pretty heavy weight all the way to really just no stimulus and rest. And then once you get through that and you catch that super compensation, you feel amazing. You know, it's like, it's like, you don't know what happened, but next thing you know, you're, you're PRing every number. And that's ideally, you know, with a well-guided training process, that's how, how it should hopefully feel. But it's just hard to fight that feeling when you feel terrible, but you're telling yourself it's worth it later. But generally, I think with most things, you know, that delayed gratification generally indicates something better is going to happen, you know, putting off the instant gratification tends to, to lead to something bigger. I think in almost any instance, I would argue. <laughs> I'm going to start using that as one of my values. I really like that delayed gratification on, in terms of everything is always better. Investing is a great example. Generally, you know, and most Generally, anything investing, I would say. Money, probably relationships. <laughs> like, I think that's true. Um, I think like there's actually a little bit of research on impulsiveness and report decision-making, um, which is why Instagram is so bad. If you guys have seen The Social Dilemma, if you haven't, you probably should watch it. And the polarity that it causes and your ability to be irrational and, and illogical, by the way. So anyways, uh, I think we covered like a ton of great content here. I know Isaiah has to leave. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Um, if you guys are listening to this, uh, make sure you guys, if you can subscribe to the podcast, we also put these up on YouTube. Make sure you guys like and comment on the Josh, video. Instagram, say your Instagram. Yeah. What's your Instagram, Josh? Oh, okay. Instagram is, uh, J Williamson USA. Uh, that's for Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. That's pretty much all my accounts. It's all the same stuff. Anyway, I'm pretty bad with social media to be honest. I'll post PRs or cool pictures or something but other than that i'm not very good with it but it's all the same stuff and it really just a lot of stuff that i love to do mostly lifting and sprinting to be honest you <laughs> so. definitely should post more because i pers- people like me will be able to so eloquently share with the rest of the world <laughs> no, I'm like, uh, I, 
and followed you on Instagram like uh, a few minutes ago, and I I watched your video at the four, 407 squat for reps. It's freaky. Yeah. <laughs> Go check it also, out. just so you know, if you ever want to come dunk, <laughs> we're here. Hey, if you ever want to try your sport, I don't know. I, I feel like it'd be pretty bad. <laughs> no, I still don't think I can dribble without looking. Yeah, you just so dunk off bird. Really <laughs> <laughs> so he can't dribble. He has no basketball skills. Don't worry. We coach people just negative like basketball skills. <laughs> All yeah, right. Uh, I, I, that's how we warm up. That's about it. We'll go in the gym and, you know, miss a lot of threes and then go in the weight room. <laughs> <laughs> Beautifully said. Uh, but, yeah, thanks for doing that with us, bro. Um, if, again, if you guys are listening to this and you're looking for jump training, this is our uh, – you know, our plug as always, thbstrength.com. If you guys have other suggestions for people you want to have on the show, you can feel free to comment that too. Other than that, guys, uh, thanks for listening. Josh, thanks for coming on. Oh, last thing to close this off. Are you going to be uh, a winter Olympian? Are you like, what How? What level are you at right now? We didn't even ask this. I, you know, that never guaranteed. Obviously, you know, I, as you know, it's always, you know, year of the game is when you find out who makes a team. Uh, right now, I'm hoping so. I've raced at on USA one and two man and four man the last two years at world championships. So it's hopefully looking good. I just got to maintain spot essentially. And that's something that we have ranked sleds. You know, you got USA one, two, three down the line. And ideally the top three sleds will go to the Olympics if we can qualify them. So as long as, you know, keep chugging along, stay healthy, hopefully getting better every year and hopefully uh, representing the country at the winter Olympics and in China, you know, if those even happen. So a lot of what ifs, but the plan is to hopefully be a winner, but you know, that's, That's sick. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Anyways, guys, we'll include that in the title because we didn't even talk about that and why he's relevant. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Um, Peace out.